Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. I was away last week uh, visiting my daughters uh, on their college campus, which was a delight to be able to do, but it meant that I I wasn't in my own shul the week after the catastrophe, which means that I didn't, I didn't give a sermon last week. Uh, part of me is relieved. I have no idea what sermon I would have given, although some of the sermons that my colleagues have given uh, were beautiful and inspiring. Um, but I shuddered at what I would have come up with. Uh, and now, a week later, uh, my first sort of formal opportunities. Um, on a Shabbat morning at least, to address the community about some of these issues. Um, I addressed it in other ways, through emails and uh, through the gatherings that we had, but it's my first kind of Shabbat morning pulpit moment. Uh, And we have less time than I would have wanted because there are so many wonderful things happening in shul today, which is great. I'm so happy about that, but I'm also sensitive uh, to when shul should be over, and there's, there's a limit to that. So we may not have time to do all that I wanted to do today. On some level, the, the most important of our Torah right now is the simplest one, which is that Parshat Noach couldn't be more on the nose and apt for a community that feels that the floods are overwhelming them and looking for a teva, looking for an ark, looking for something that will keep them afloat, looking for rescue, looking for a God who might bring back the horrific waves. And so each of us is a Noach right now, uh, trying to find our way onto an ark. And on some level, that's enough of a Dvar Torah, but I want to go, I want to go deeper too. So what I want to share with you is a little bit of words of Torah with some commentary and then some poetry and then an idea shared by one of the people that I turn to most these days for clarity of voice um, when it comes to what's happening in the state and the nation of Israel. If you look at your sheet, if you know this verse, you'll know very soon why it is shouting out at people who know Hebrew these last few weeks. The reason why the world was destroyed in the story of Noah is because the world deserved it. And the world deserved it because it was overrun and riddled by something. And the Torah tells us what it is. The land had been destroyed in the presence of God. And the earth was filled by Hamas. Now that is an accident. The modern name of the despicable terrorist organization whose raison d'etre is to murder Jews, is not based on a Hebrew word in the Torah. But the word Hamas in the Torah meant violence. And it is overwhelming to be confronted with a verse that says that the earth was overwhelmed by Hamas. And that it was the presence of Hamas in the world that made the world so broken and so dark that God said, I have to start over again. There cannot be a world with Hamas in it. It's not what it meant then. 
but the immediacy of the overlap is overwhelming. And two verses later, Vayomer Elohim Lenoach, therefore God says to Noach, Kate's Kol Basar, the end of all flesh, Baalafanai, is coming to me. I cannot countenance a world like this. Why? Because the land is filled with Hamas. Mipnehem in their presence. And therefore I'm destroying the earth. Again, that's a Dvartor in and of itself, and we don't have to go much further. Because no God or no God-fearing person should tolerate a world in which this Hamas and that Hamas exists. And the fact that there are places in the world that are finding curvy, perverted rationalizations for explaining why what Hamas is involved in is resistance as opposed to horrific and unforgivable terror, it almost makes you think that God should start over with all of us. That if this is a world that tolerates Hamas, this is a world that maybe ought not be. And if this is a campus that tolerates those who tolerate Hamas, maybe that campus shouldn't exist. And if this is a university president who stands behind the rallying in favor of those who murder babies, maybe that university president should not exist in that role. It's on that level. And the fact that the Torah gave us words for that in a different context is remarkable. But let's jump from the earned, painful rhetoric of the 21st century and go into some Torah study, because ultimately we're a people who try to find out really what words did mean, and to see how our ancestors, who had no idea what the 20th and 21st century would be, who had no idea about the state of Israel coming, had no idea about the IDF, had no idea about Palestinians, had no idea about Hamas, but they knew words and they wanted to understand what it means. Let's see what they said. Ibn Ezra, a middle a medieval um, Spanish gr- uh, grammar nerd, uh, who, uh, so that's why I love him, who wanted to find out exactly what words meant. He says, on the word Hamas, look at how he defines the word Hamas. Gezel, robbery, the Oshek, oppression, the Kachat, gam hanashim bechozka, and taking women by force against their will. That's what he says the word Hamas means. It's not just bad stuff. It's a particularly despicable way of being. Again, he's reading that into the generation of the flood. He's not talking to the year 2023. He says that's how low humanity got, such that God's choice to demolish the earth was somehow justified. A few centuries later, the Orachayim, who was a rabbi both in Italy and then in Morocco and the land of Israel, on the phrase, the the first part of what he says is a little bit nitty-gritty that I want to jump over because I really want to get to the second part. He says, Min he basically thinks the, the verse should have been written differently. And I, I don't want to spend the time on why he thinks it should be written differently. But his explanation for why it was written the way it was, even though it could have been written in the reverse, go down to the third line of the Hebrew, the last word. Ella, rather, the specific way that the verse was written describing the destruction of the earth and then the Hamas on top of that, was to inform that even after they got to a certain level of depravity, even after they had gotten to a place that had deserved God's destruction, they even went beyond that to do disgusting, 
unforgivable things, yoter mihakodem, to suggest that there are places where you get to that are um, evil without understanding, evil without there being anything beyond it, and then there's evil beyond it. That's Hamas. Again, an incredible um, coincidence and overlap of meaning from our holy text from hundreds of years ago. And then look what the same sage Orachim says on the word Hamas itself. Perush Hamas, the explanation of the word Hamas, who klalot harasha, it is the embodiment and the collection of all evil. Bo Gezel, you have robbery in there. Bo Gilui Ariot, you have sexual depravity in there. Ushfichut damimbo, and murder. And avodazara, and idolatry, which I think is also apt for today because anyone who lives by the ideology that Hamas says they live by is bowing down not to Muhammad and not to the aspects of the religion of Islam that have something positive to contribute to the world but to an, the idolatry of the hatred of the Jew. Kamosha Hohichu Razal, like our sages said in a Midrash, look down... Um, Look down to after the period in the Hebrew, after the line after the parentheses. The Hagam And even though we know that the um, the way, the character of the Holy One, may God's name be blessed, Lihiot no se'avon is to be a bearer of sin. Be a bearer of sin is a way of saying forgiving sin, right? We know this from the thirteen attributes. God is one who can hold on to our sin and not punish us for everything that we do and is a forgiving God, even though we know that God is one who is no se'avon. Ad eight bo devar mishpat, meaning God can hold on to the sins of human beings until human justice can be meted out. Hador hahu, that generation, the generation of the flood, gadol avonam means so. Their sin was greater than even God can bear, which is a direct uh, reference to the, what Cain, 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 Cain and Abel, after Cain murdered his brother, he says to God, gadol avonim means so. I can't bear what I did. It's too much even for me to carry. God basically says there are some sins that even God can't hold on to and wait for human justice to be meted out. It's bigger even than the divine capacity to forgive. So the first part I want to say to you in no uncertain terms is that we are witnessing a return of the quality of human behavior that according to our tradition caused the earth to deserve to be destroyed. And that, and I believe that our society will be destroyed if we don't destroy that. And I think the stakes are that high. That's the Barisho. Devar Sheni, because I think it's appropriate now to bring Israeli voices to the fore. So we brought Jewish medieval voices, but Israeli forces, voices, particularly because next week was supposed to be our scholar in residence in memory of Baruch Link of Blessed Memory, who is a professor of Jewish, uh, of Israeli literature and poetry. Our scholar in residence, Yaniv Itzkowitz, the author of the really phenomenal book, uh, the, the, the Slaughterhouse, The Slaughterman's Daughter, uh, was called into the reserves uh, in his unities and his. 30s or 40s, his kids at home. He's, uh, he's now back serving the IDF. And however important it is for him to teach Temple Beth Am, uh, it's not more important than his uh, 
protecting the nation. So that's going to be postponed. I think that email out yesterday. Next weekend, there's a little plug. We are going to be spending a weekend devoted to Israeli song, Israeli literature, Israeli food, and Israeli togetherness. So come, but it's not going to be the scholar in residence. We might actually have the consul general of the state of Israel speaking to our community next Shabbat morning with all Minanim together. But I want to spend time in these weeks uh, raising up the voices of Israelis. Yudah Amichai was the unofficial poet laureate of the state of Israel. Uh, his era of um, significance was the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, he has an incredible way of the words. The name of this poem is longer than some poems. The name of this poem is Ani lo hayiti echad milyonim uma meshachayai patuach sagor paduach. That's the name of the poem. The name of the poem is I was not one of the six million, a reference to the victims of the Shoah. Uma meshachayai what is my lifespan? And then the uh, inscrutable last three words, open, closed, open. Open, closed, open is also the name of the collection of poems, the book of poems in which this poem exists. I once heard him uh, give a lecture in Jerusalem as to why he called that book open, closed, open. I don't remember a single word of it. But, but he had an idea, and I'm, and, I, and I'm sure it meant something. This poem deserves an hour. We're going to give it four minutes. I'm going to read it in Hebrew because he deserves that. Uh, the translation is a combination of a, a translation I found and a translation that I worked on because I like, I, I, I like translating. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's hard to read these words. I wasn't one of the six million who died in the Shoah. I wasn't even one of the ones who was rescued. I was not one of the 600,000 who left Egypt. I did come to the promised land. By the way, that phrase, Eretz HaMuvtachat, is an interesting Hebrew turn of phrase. It's not the Hebrew from which we get the English Am Segula, uh, get the English promised land. He's retranslating promised land which is an English phrase, which comes from a different Hebrew phrase, into Hebrew, and Eretz HaMuftachet means simultaneously, and this is the beauty of his Hebrew, a land over which someone has made a promise, and also a land which is protected and defended. I didn't come to this, and if you are reading this poem only in Hebrew, you get both of those immediately. You don't have to do the work. It's right there. I came to this land that, is, that was promised and that is protected, min hayam, from the sea. Aniloaiti ben kol ela. I wasn't amongst all of those. Aval nisharubi, but the fire and the smoke remain within me, and I believe that the fire and the smoke here is a reference both to the imagery of the Shoah and Jewish ba- Jewish bodies being burned into ash, and also the fire and the passion of of the Jews who found their way to the land of Israel. It's operating, I think, on at least two levels. Ashan Marimli. And this is now a reference to how God uh, presented God's self in the desert to illuminate the way for the Israelites from e- e- Egypt to the land of Israel. The pillars of fire and the pillars of cloud, they guide me. They guide me on the way at night and on day. Yudah Amichai was not a religious Jew per se, but that generation of Israelis, even if they didn't observe Shabbos, they knew the culture and the language of our people 
in a way that is not necessarily something you can rely on now amongst your average secular Israeli going through the education system. So he is, he is paraphrasing the book of Exodus as he's going along here because he knows those words like mother's milk. And what else has remained within me? The mad and maddening search. For the exit door. For the emergency exit. Right? The, the imagery of someone in catastrophe who's just searching for the way out or, from what I said earlier, looking for an ark to get on, to get away from the waves. And the mad search for soft landings. Soft places. Achar ervat ha'aretz. It's very hard to translate this into English. Erva means nakedness and exposure and vulnerability. Um, and the, the word erva in the Torah refers to the um, familiar relationships whose nakedness you should not uncover because that would be incestuous. But, but the ervata aretz is like the, the, the land exposed, the land without protection, land without clothing. So this is a continuation. I'm also in a mad search for the soft spots, the exposed spots of the land. Uh, in order to escape into uh, that very weakness, meaning I recognize that my land is naked and weak and I have a mad drive to get into that soft spot. And also into the hope because the Jewish hope emerges from the softest, most vulnerable parts of our identity. And also remaining within me is the lust, the desire for the search after living waters, which is a reference to the mikvah. It's also, uh, and mikvah, by the way, is from the same root that from which we get the word tikva. Right? You don't think of it that way. Tikva, hope, our national anthem, mikvah, that you go, waters that you go in to purify. It's the same Hebrew root. And he's playing with that also because he just said tikva, and now he says mayim chayim. Bidibur shaket, or sheket, to quiet talk, el hasela, into the rock, uvamakot teruf, and with frenzied blows. Achar kach, shtika bli she'elot. I'm searching for a place to hide deep inside all of that for a silence that has no questions. Uvli tshuvot, and no answers. I hear him, he didn't live in the era of non-stop media and social media, but I hear him aching to get away from it all, where no one's asking questions and no one's giving bad answers to them. Ha-historia yudit v'ha-historia olamit, Jewish history and world history, tochanot oti benehen, they grind me between them. How do I be a human being who believes in multiculturalism and believes in the human dignity of all and who believes in democracy and also, how do I be a Jew and not surrender my identity and my life and my state on the altar of other things that I believe in? I think every Jewish kid on college campuses right now is experiencing that, being ground between the parts of the academic education that we stand behind as a generally liberal American community. I'm using the word liberal, not politically, but we're generally liberal, liberal open-minded people and the ways in which that very approach to education is grinding the Jew down into dust into even the thinnest dust and that also is a reference a, a biblical reference because that's what the ashes of the red heifer were ground into and the ashes of the rebellion of Korach as well like between two giant millstones the year of the sun 
the solar year, meaning the secular world in which we live, the lunar year, meaning also my Jewish identity, right? So I'm, we're pulled between America and Israel. We're pulled between January, February, March, and Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev. They're constantly trying to run in front of one another. Or to fall behind the other. I'm, I don't know which one is in front. My, my solar year or my lunar year. My modern person or my ancient person. My secular person or my Jewish person. And those calendars, they jump. And they give motion. Perpetual motion. Which, by the way, has an imagery of something positive and negative because he's so good at doing both at the same time. On some level, we want to be in perpetual motion, a certain dynamism. And it's interesting to constantly toggle back and forth between our Jewish and our American selves and our modern and our ancient selves and our, and our, our multicultural self and our particular self. But tnuamat medet, nonstop motion, is also exhausting and intolerable. You can't run a marathon at a sprint's pace. Va'ani lefamim nofel berevach. Sometimes I fall in the gap between them. To hide, bow within it. Or to sink. I kind of interpolated the poem because we're not going to have time to actually discuss the poem. And it was written in a different era of challenging moments to be an Israeli. I think this poem was written in the 90s, maybe the late 80s. Uh, Nothing's changed and everything has changed. And to be caught between those millstones, it's excruciating because we're not willing to surrender either, right? Unless we're, unless we're, we want to live kind of a an absolutist, um, uh, like surrender modernity and go live on a on a, on a hilt up as some of the um, Haredi youngsters are living and really not caring about the world around us and therefore being willing to rationalize things that we do that we do uh, justify things that we do in Judaism that really should not be justified. We are caught in those two worlds. And sometimes it grounds us down to powder. And then from Torah to poetry to one of my uh, muses right now, Rabbi, uh, not Rabbi, I called him Rabbi, it's so interesting because I think of him as a Rebbe. He's not a Rabbi, Yossi Kleinalevi, who's a scholar and an author and a journalist and a pundit who somehow always finds a way to say both sides of things fairly and in a way that's not necessarily easy to take in but he's saying things that some people are not willing to say. This is from his uh, article in the Times of Israel this week, what this war is about. To win this war against evil, Hamas, the double sense of it, requires steadiness and balance, the very balance that Yehuda Amichai said is so hard to achieve as you're trying to do both. Left-wing Jews need to understand that the Jewish people cannot afford the purity of powerlessness. I'll interpolate that I have noticed amongst my colleagues, um, in the last decade and a half, from a place that I know is a beautiful place, a certain fetishization of Jewish powerlessness, as if the 1930s was something we want to go back to. They've never said they want to go back to the Shoah, but almost as if, oh, Israeli Jewish power is so complicated. It was so hard since 1948. There's been a fetishization of the powerless Jew. I have no fetishization or interest in the powerless Jew. And we can't afford that purity. But, and there is an important but, while right-wing Jews, and these are overly um, plain generalizations, but are saying something true, need to understand that power requires moral limits. Anybody 
who wants what I want in one one-thousandth of my heart right now, which is to demolish Gaza to the ground, has to come back to realpolitik and the morality of wielding a Jewish weapon and know that we cannot sacrifice two million lives even to um, protect a million of our own. As a people, we must not be indifferent to the anguish of Gaza, and we must not allow that anguish to undermine our resolve to destroy Hamas. If every university president could say that, if every CNN anchor could say that, if every world leader could say that, and if the Jews on the left could say the, part on the, 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 the latter part and the Jews on the right could say the former part, we'll be getting somewhere. And when you have nowhere to go, getting somewhere feels like a triumph. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.